0: And so if you want to turn your Bibles electronically or your physical Bibles, turn to the right from Jove in your Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 1. The title is Difficult Assignments, Responding to God's Call. And uh, a lot to be said in the life of Jeremiah and the life of us as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start by standing. If you're able, we're going to read. I'm going to lead us in reading through Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. So if you could stand while we read God's word. Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the king of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, O Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Lord, we ask that you would bless us as we read your word, as we internalize this scripture. Lord, just use me as your vessel to speak to your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we understand tonight that Jeremiah was given an assignment from God, In fact, it was really a big assignment. God appointed Jeremiah to be a prophet to the Jews and to bring the news of judgment to them. How would you like that job? To stand before the entire Jewish nation and tell them that they're going to be ravaged, their place is going to be burned down, they're going to be taken away to a foreign land because they've been disobedient to the Lord. I think probably people would be throwing stones and eggs and all kinds of stuff at Jeremiah. This is a big task, don't you think? And how many of you are thrilled and excited when you get a big assignment? You know, you may say, gosh, my hands are sweaty and, you know, I have a headache and my stomach is turned and, and, uh, wow, thank you for this big assignment. No, I, I don't think we respond that way. And maybe you've got a big assignment, perhaps at home, maybe there's this home repair that you're doing and nothing's working and the plumbing, things are squirting out and you've exhausted all those YouTube videos that seem to contradict each other (laughs) And, and time is precious. Or maybe you've got that difficult neighbor, that irritating neighbor that's got that barking dog, Muffy, that you just can't, you've got to go talk to him, but you know that that's going to give you a pit in your stomach. Or maybe God has called you to do something, to speak to somebody regarding something they've said or they've done. And it it makes us uncomfortable with these difficult assignments. But we know sometimes our culture makes difficult assignments seem exciting. As we watch a movie or something that we see, and we just cheer on somebody that's in a difficult assignment. And I've got one example to show you. Watch the screen. Now, I'll be honest, how many of you, when you saw that in the theater, cheered for the fact that he got away from that big boulder? Come on, yeah. <clears throat> but if you look at his face, he was not having fun, was he? No, he wasn't. Assignments can be difficult, and they stretch us. They make us feel uneasy, make us say, hey, I'm not right for this job. Maybe you meant somebody else, and maybe looking behind you to see if somebody was giving you an assignment that you know, was intended for somebody else. And let's understand that sometimes, when we have difficult assignments, that we can kind of put it off, right? I mean, that's the opposite effect. We can put those aside and not deal with them. In fact, when I worked at Boeing uh, a few years ago, I had a manager that was a terrible manager, unfortunately, and I had to ultimately give him a verbal reprimand, and uh, he was very surprised by that. And I had an opportunity to talk to his previous boss, And I said, was was Sam a bad employee for you? He said, yeah, he was terrible. And I said, well, what did you do about it? Because I want to know. And he goes, well, I didn't really do anything. I just kind of figured he'd get passed on to somebody else and they'd have to deal with it. And that was the case. And so I got to uh, do what was necessary, I suppose, for for Sam. But um, anyway, Jeremiah, difficult assignment. You know, the the Jews were unfaithful to God. And this is why God had appointed Jeremiah to, to be a prophet to this nation. In fact, they deviated so far from the laws of God that God caused himself to withdraw his blessings from them. He removed this veil of protection over them. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want one second of God's veil of protection to leave me. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but they would not listen, time and time and time again. And so, this is the job for Jeremiah. He was put in the place. Scripture says that he was a prophet for 40 years. That's a long time. And in those 40 years, the Jews did not change from their evil ways. Can you imagine 40 years of your heart and soul poured out to these people? and no change. It's almost like being a car salesman and not selling a single car in 40 years. Wouldn't that be depressing? <laughs> that doesn't look good in your resume. But this was the case and he was faithful. The Jews did not repent. They did not repent from their evil way. Excuse me, evil ways. So God was basically saying to Jeremiah, okay, so here's the deal. I'm going to have you communicate my wrath to the Jewish people. They're going to be uh, experience famine and plundered and taken captive. And by the way, nobody's going to listen to you. In fact, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be put in stocks. In fact, persecution and rejection are going to be your middle name. How's that for an assignment? And I think if I were <laughs> Jeremiah, I'd say, okay, exit, stage left. I, I'm, adios, I'm out of here. You know, this is too big for me. And sometimes we think that those assignments or whatever God is leading us, making us realize he wants us to, to do something, we can be the same way. We can be saying, hey, it's, it's not the right time or I'm not comfortable in this particular situation, whatever that may be. And the truth is that God chooses us for a specific purpose, whether we feel ready and equipped or not. I mean, Jeremiah didn't come to God and say, okay, I'm ready, I feel equipped, I'm ready to go. (laughs) Might be some pride in that, right? And the truth is that whether we'll ultimately see the results of our efforts, it's really up to God how he wants to work that. You see, God knows what he's doing, and he expects us to respond when he calls us in order to do something for him, big or small. So let's uh, dissect a little bit of Jeremiah. If we look at chapter 1, verse 1. And if you are a note taker, I've got five points here. So the first point is, the world is callous toward the things of God. Are you surprised? Is it any different today? Verse 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Now, Anathoth was uh, one of the priestly cities in the land of Benjamin where a lot of the priests congregated. And we know that Jeremiah came from a line of priests, one of those being his father, Hilkiah. And Jeremiah lived during the reign of five kings, as we'll see about in a minute. All these names are going to make sense in just a minute. Now, four out of the five kings were evil kings. Only one king was good. The first king was King Manasseh. This is where uh, Jeremiah was born into the reign of King Manasseh. And King Manasseh in 2 Kings 21 said he was an evil man in the sight of the Lord. He was 12 when he became king. Now, I don't know about you, but 12 seems to be a bit young, but he was influenced by those that were around him, and so he became an evil king. And then his son, King Ammon, King number two, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Children were offered as sacrifices. The law of Moses was disregarded, disobeyed. You could say God was irrelevant for them. We can almost say that today, right? In our society, God is irrelevant. Sure, they were happy with their own idols and and doing their own thing, but they were not following God. And this was the world in which Jeremiah was born into. Because he was along the line of priests, he probably got a lot of information just maybe sitting at the dinner table with the other priests that were there, his father, maybe just hearing about how broken the people were. Maybe there weren't even any more animal sacrifices because nobody felt like they were sinful enough to sacrifice any animals. And so it was a really tough time for Jeremiah. And we know that, um, that he was considered the weeping prophet. God gave him a heart to really have compassion for these people. So as a priest, your work is primarily to preserve the past, to preserve the tradition, but a prophet was intended to change the present so that people would have a future. This was the difference. And so Jeremiah made that switch, as God called him, from a priest to a prophet. And so he had a different calling. Lamentations 1.6, if you want to write that down, that's a reflection of his heart weeping for the Jews to turn from their evil ways. So those are two kings. King Ammon, number two, King Manasseh was the first king. And then verse two, look with me here. It says, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. Now, Josiah was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned for 30 years. But 2 Kings tells us that he was different said he did good in the sight of the Lord. He brought a lot of change to the Jews. He began to repair the temple. He began to clean it from all the objects of pagan worship. He called for a time of national repentance and restored the observance of the Passover that had been long gone. And the people at that time might have said, Wow, we've got a godly prophet, and now we've got a godly king. Things are going to start happening now. This is going to be exciting. We've been waiting for this time. Man, we've got these two together. We're just going to have such a great time of repentance. People are going to come back and worship God. And we know that the, the temple was set up and these things were done, but what happened was it was all on the outside. It was exterior. The people themselves, their heart did not change. You may walk by and see the temple in all its glory or somewhat of its glory kind of restored. But the people's hearts were still wicked. Still wicked. And we can put a lot of stock in a godly leader as somebody may get elected to local office or national office and we just know that Because of sin, man's greatest human attempts to bring forth revival easily fail. This is why we say the world is callous toward the things of God. Look at verse three. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So now you've got two sons of King Josiah. You've got brothers, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. And 2nd King says they both did evil in the sight of the Lord. you kind of noticing a trend here? <laughs> this is a terrible trend. Oppression. People are just walking away. Generation after generation after generation. And I think today we're no different. There's so many people that have walked away. So many things are idols in the lives of people. So the world needs to turn to God, but this is why God calls us to take on these assignments, to make a difference in the world, to influence the world. And he uses us. I think as Shane was saying, I don't know why he loves me the way that he does or uses me the way that he does as frail as imperfect I am, or we all are. But he does, because then he gets the glory, and not us. So he doesn't need to use us, but he chooses to use us. And quite frankly, he chooses to use all of us. And that leads us to the second point, if you're a note taker. Second point is, all Christians are called into his service. All Christians. Look at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, even before Jeremiah was born, even before he heard the word of the Lord, God was working in his life for a specific purpose. There are four things in verse 5 that we want to look at. First, he says, I formed you in the womb. And you can reference more information on God's formation, Psalm 139, 13, and 14. Psalm 139, 13, and 14. Scripture tells us that God is intimately involved in our creation, From the time of conception and he even has a concept of us even before we're conceived he knows how we're going to look you know sometimes in a uh, mom and dad they're waiting for baby to be born it's like gosh is he gonna have your nose or my nose or your freckles you got problems with my freckles i don't know (laughs) but you know there's that excitement right of what this little one's gonna look like and And God is just masterfully creating little children. This reflects the sanctity of human life. And so God says, I formed you in the womb. And he says, I knew you. That's the second part. And in the Old Testament, to know somebody meant more than just being acquainted, like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. It referred to a personal commitment. Like when God knew Israel, his people, he had a personal commitment to them. And this is really a reference to uh, what he's talking about here with um, Jeremiah, that he was personally committed to him really for a purpose. He didn't just create him just for the sake of creating him, there was a purpose behind it, and God was committed to him. And third, he says, I consecrated you. To consecrate means to set apart for God's purpose. And this is where I think God gave him that weeping prophet's heart. He gave them a heart. What better person to be a prophet for the, for the Jews? His heart broke for them. And he wanted to just draw them close to him, he wanted them to repent. So God consecrated him for that purpose. And we know Jesus said that also to his confused and afraid disciples as he was getting ready to be crucified. He said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. So you hear the terms chose, but then you hear go and bear fruit. There was purpose in that and there's purpose in what God intends for us to do. See, God wants us to make a difference for him. And this is what we want to do. And then finally, he says, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. A specific assignment. He's being very direct with Jeremiah. He's not making it uh, where he's got a guess. He's saying, this is your specific assignment. And assignments are important. I mean, I think about assignments and I think like my gardener, Max, when he comes to my house, I have an assignment for him. I have bushes I want him to trim, weeds to pull. I, I don't say, hey, Max, just do what you feel like doing today. <laughs> you can just sit around, drink iced tea or whatever. I have a specific purpose for him. And this is what God has for, um, for Jeremiah. But it's very similar. You look at uh, Joshua chapter 1 where God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and this people to the land which I'm giving them to the sons of Israel. You hear the action words, arise, cross. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Arise, cross, go, baptize, teach. These are all words that God is using because he's got specific purpose for these individuals, and we're not exempt for that. We're all called. See, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. Does it say, so some of us are his workmanship? Maybe a few are his workmanship, and sometimes we think about that as we look at some of these, what we'll consider pillars in scripture, Jeremiah and Moses and others, and we think, well, that's... Those guys are special. That's for them. That's not for us. The guys, these guys are human. They're frail. They're just like us. These are examples for us to say, okay, that means me too. And God has specific purpose in that. But maybe you, you might ask the question, how will I know when God's calling me to do something. Is it just going to be on my refrigerator one morning? Dear John, this is what I want you to do today. (laughs) These are the people I want you to talk to, or or whatever that may be. I mean, it it might kind of make us freak out a little bit, I suppose. (laughs) But how do we know? Well, first, I would say pray about what God would have us do. And the question is, are we bold enough to say, God, who are you going to put in my path today can you make that known to me what would you have me do this week what areas do you want me to involve in what specific areas of service or so wherever that may be we need to ask him and sometimes I think we can be afraid to ask him because you might be might be surprised or disappointed or afraid of the answer it's like oh man I knew you we were going to say that I've been thinking about this this person at work and then all of a sudden you told me that I should go talk to that person. You with me? <laughs> but also how will we know? We, we need to also look at how God has gifted us, our talents, our experiences. We may have a certain bent or a passion that's going to put us in a certain area. That's going to make sense because we're wired a certain way. He may give us a great sense of humor, and then it's really to encourage people, whatever that may be. And then we also need to look at the circumstances that he has put us in. As we were recently in the book of Esther, we know for such a time as this, and perhaps there is a divine appointment or whatever that may be for us to consider. And then finally, we just need to know his heart by being in his word. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of his heart. So the more that we're aligned with God's heart, the more he's going to unveil to us what our desires are. And so we need to accept our calling. We need to realize that everyone in this room, and you can look around and say, okay, it's all of us. (laughs) You know, nobody's excused because we are in his family, in God's family if we're Christians, and that's a wonderful thing, and so we want to be available. But, you know, there are times when we can come up with excuses. I hate to say that, but it's true. Look at verse 6. And we know this very well. Jeremiah says, Then I said... I I think it's a little dramatic here, don't you? (laughs) Alas, Lord God... (laughs) Behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a, I'm a, youth. I'm a youth. I don't know what defines a youth, but if that excuse works for him, then maybe I'll say I'm a youth as well. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Alas, I know how to speak. I'm a youth. And sometimes we can come up with excuses as well. Sometimes we could say, I just don't know enough. You know, if I I approach this person, he's going to ask this huge theological question. I'm just going to go... I'm going to look foolish. So you've got to find somebody else to go talk to that person. And Moses tried this. He said in Exodus 3.13, If I go to the Israelites and I say to them... The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, "What is His name? What should I tell them? You can just imagine his butcher shaking, and he's like, "What am I going to do? God, what am I going to do?" And God said, "Go tell them, I am who I am." He gave him the answer, Exodus 3:14. And God can give us the right answer. And it may be that somebody has this huge theological question. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm going to get back to you. I'll see you tomorrow or next week or whatever that may be. And I'm going to do some research and I'm going to find out. I'm going I'm to give you some answers here. So I don't know enough may be an excuse or maybe I don't know how. That could be another excuse too. I wonder if, if uh, Jonah tried that when God asked him to build the ark. What do you think? <laughs> Sorry, God. I mean, that, I, I need some blueprints, man. You know, you're asking me to do something huge. You know, come back to me in a couple years and maybe I'll figure this thing out. No, God gave him information. Look at Genesis 6 and he tells him how to build the ark. Or maybe, how about this is an excuse? I don't have time. Does that resonate with anybody? Well, you've got time to be here, so praise God for that. (laughs) That's, That's a good start. But, you know, sometimes our calendar conflicts with God's calendar. And if you put your priorities before God's priorities, you will never have time for what God wants you to do. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be a show on TV, uh, you know, working overtime, or whatever it may be, there's always going to be something But Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We need to really put ourselves before God and say, how can I rearrange my calendar so it's your calendar, Lord? It's almost like starting with a clean piece of paper and say, how do you want to use that? It doesn't mean that God's not going to use us in our workplace or, or at the soccer field if we have kids that are there, but We have to be sensitive to how God wants to use us. He wants us to serve in a local church. He wants us to be out in our community. He wants us to minister to our families and be spiritual leaders of our families. And all these things require us to make time for the Lord, to have time to pray, have time to read his word. And so, I don't have time can be a common excuse. And here's the most interesting one, the most boldest one, I feel like a game show host. For 50 points, I won't. Now, that doesn't mean that we say, God, I will not do this thing. It's more like, I won't. I won't do it. You know, it's more subtle. I don't, I don't think that we take a stand and stomp our feet like little kids and say, I'm not going to do it but I think we can still and our hearts say, I'm not going to do it. And so refusing is not a good thing. How do you think that felt with, uh, with Jonah? Do you think that had any effect on him? I mean, ultimately, God just picked him up, put him back in front of the Ninevites, and it's like, okay, let's try it again. <laughs> I've got your attention now. But this is bold, and many times we can... We can have that kind of excuse. All kinds of different excuses, isn't it? And really, sometimes it's just a lack of faith to just trust that God's gonna work in our lives. He's gonna use us. Yes, we may be stretched. We may be in, uh, um, have to trust in him more. Or maybe we're just not in a comfortable spot, but he's a great God, amen? He's a great God. And if we think about it, look what Jesus did for us. Lived a selfless life, came down as a man, died on a cross, rose again, intercedes for the Father. For us, he did that for us, Philippians 2.7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For you, for me. He did that for us. So why should we be kicking and screaming to say, I won't or I can't? We owe everything to him, our eternal salvation, to be with God forever in heaven. He saved us from the pit of hell for all eternity. Amen? And so this is what he's done. We should be having joy in our hearts to say, I get to to be part of God's plan. (laughs) I, I get to be here. I get to maybe be a catalyst for somebody else to lead somebody to the Lord, or I get to encourage somebody or speak wisdom into somebody's life. He's using me. I don't know why, getting back to Shane's song, but he's using me. Praise God for that. But that's, you know, sometimes we just have that temper tantrum. I'm not going to do it. Okay, I'll do it, I suppose. And um, I'll tell you, sometimes we tend to negotiate, right? God, if you give me some slack here, I'll do this for you. That sound familiar? (laughs) Maybe I'll come halfway, you've come this way. You come this way first, so I know it's, it's real. And then I'll do this. That kind of a thing. Uh, And we can do that. And I think God just goes, man, you're such a knucklehead. (laughs) Come on, I've got this great thing for you to be involved in. Would you just trust me in that? And I remember a few years ago in my early 50s, Claudia and I were talking about me coming on to staff at Living Truth full time. I was working at Boeing in Huntington Beach. And we kind of did the math and thought, well, we talked to our financial planner and he said, okay, 58, when you're 58 you can retire, your 401K is gonna be here and this is gonna lay in place and it's gonna be great. 58's not like 65 or 70, so that's, it feels pretty good to be in there. And early in our 50s we had some family tragedies in our lives and it really, if you know what I'm talking about, it really makes you think about what's really important. And so we were scratching our heads and just saying, gosh, do I, do I want to work in aerospace until I'm 58? <laughs> and we decided that I would leave Boeing early and um, I took a voluntary layoff and came here at 54. I'm 58 now, so this is the time where I would have come here. But what an experience. And, and God was just saying, will you just trust me? You know, I didn't lose the house. They didn't repossess the cars. You know, all that stuff. God was faithful to say, forget this negotiating. Come, step into this world that I've opened doors for you. And what a wonderful ride that's been. Benjamin Franklin wrote, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. I think that's pretty sobering, but I think it's profound as well. And so God did not disqualify Jeremiah on the basis of this youth and inexperience. He didn't say, well, Jeremiah, you're, you're right. I guess you can't speak well. And you are kind of young. So I'll just pass, pass over you and find somebody else. No, he, he didn't. And Jeremiah may have had reasonable doubts But God exposed his false humility for what it really was. It was a lack of faith on Jeremiah's part. And that can be a lack of faith on our part too, to say, God, I just feel like you're you're wanting me to make this change or do something or whatever it may be. You know, you fill in the blank. But God's just saying, do you have the right amount of faith to be able to just do this? I want you to. You see, Jeremiah forgot that God is not limited by human weaknesses. When God calls someone to do a job, he gives him or her all the gifts needed to get the job done. With God's calling comes God's gifting. So there's a story about an elderly widow and she was restricted in her activities. She was eager to serve Christ. After praying about this, she realized that she could bring blessing to others by playing the piano. So the next day, she placed the small ad in the Oakland Tribune. It said, "Pianist will play hymns by phone daily for those who are sick and despondent. The service is free. The notice included the number to dial. And so when people called, she would ask, what hymn would you like to hear? And within a few months, her playing had brought cheer to several hundred people. Many of them freely poured out their hearts to her, and she was able to help and encourage them. You see, we just need to enlist and we need to trust and let God provide what's necessary. And so briefly, the fourth item, if you're a note taker, God covers our inadequacies. God covers our inadequacies. Look at verse seven through nine. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. It's a lack of eloquence. I am a youth, he's basically saying, I don't have the experience to do this. But verse 9 said that God stretched out his hand and he put words in his mouth. I would say issue resolved. Check the box. God took care of that. Think of Moses. Moses, Exodus 4.10. says, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Can you hear kind of a whininess in his voice? Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. This is Moses. This is the pillar, Moses, that we think about. You know? But it said in Exodus 4, 11 and 12, and the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who makes him dumb or deaf, or seeing... Or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. I feel like he just, like, turned him around and said, Go, (laughs) I'm going to take care of it. And he did. He gave Moses the things to say as he had promised. See, God provides what's necessary. And sometimes we want God to remove the trials that we have so we can be more useful for him and sometimes he'll do that but other times you look at the Apostle Paul three times he wanted this thorn in the flesh to be removed so that he could be even more effective for Christ do we think that Paul was ineffective because of the, the thorn that was in his flesh no it's like God was saying Paul I'm going to leave this difficulty in your life so that you will learn that my power is perfected in your weakness It's not about your weakness. It's not about what you can't say or don't know or don't have time for. It's me. And you have to trust that I'm going to use you. He's saying my my presence trumps every single deficiency you have. This assignment is depending on me, God, being faithful, not on you being competent. And we need to realize that. We don't wait till we're super Christians. We get our merit badge and off we go. No, God's going to use us no matter where we are. We're all useful vessels for God's glory, but we have to enlist and, and really trust that the Lord's going to do that. Because we respond not out of obligation, but because we love Him. We love the Lord. Amen? and we want to be his servants. And so finally, the last point, and it's simply this, the conclusion is in God's hands. The conclusion is in God's hands. Yes, 40 years and I haven't sold the car, a single car, or Jeremiah is saying 40 years, I spoke to God's people and nobody repented. But it's really in God's hands and we have to realize that because sometimes we can be discouraged if we don't see the results of something. But God's ways are bigger than our ways and we don't see how he weaves things together. And he's gonna use us, he's gonna honor our obedience. We just have to be obedient. And so verse 10 says, see, this is God now speaking to Jeremiah, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms, that's his task, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, to build and to plant. He's talking about judgment and blessing, and he's using two metaphors. He's using one of a farmer, as we can see the words pluck up and plant, pluck up, meaning judgment plant, announcing a blessing if they are to turn, if they would turn. And then for an architect, you see the terms break down, destroy, overthrow, and then build, which refers to a blessing. And so God is telling Jeremiah that he's got authority to speak to the Jewish nation. And what happens is that it's not, Jeremiah is speaking on his own behalf. See, he doesn't have to worry about that. This is in God's hands. He is speaking on God's behalf. He is just a vessel being used by God. The message is from God to his people, amen? And when prophets speak in God's name, they are mightier than kings. When preachers preach according to God's word, they are mightier than presidents. Presidents. And this is what we're talking about. And so I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 13.4. Back, turn left, Numbers, Deuteronomy 13.4. i love to hear the turning pages. Can you make some noise with your phone so I know that you're... I, I missed that. I just look for the glow in your face as you're turning that. This is a great passage to put on your refrigerator in terms of our responsibility. What God wants us to do, read with me here, 13.4, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. There are six action words in this. Follow, fear, keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and claim to him. I love that because it just covers a gamut of so much. If we were to follow this, if you post that on your refrigerator and refer to that, man, there's so much power in that. To serve him and cling to him, what a beautiful... Beautiful passage that is. And so the conclusion is in God's hands and we may never see the results of what God has called us to do but perhaps one day when we are in heaven there may be somebody that comes up and says, hey, you showed kindness to me and that made me think about the Lord and it drew me into just a." wanting to know m- more about who Jesus was, and I became a Christian because of that. We don't know, but God wants us to be obedient. And so we need to be obedient to God's work. See, being a is not a spectator sport. Sometimes we think, okay, so now I'm a Christian, I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and now I can sit in my easy chair, and I can coast, because I know where I'm going, Right? I'm just going to be in heaven. It may be 50 years before I get there, but I'm a Christian, and that's all I need to worry about. But God wants us to get on the field. You ever see, like, at the end of a soccer match where everybody just comes down on the field, you know, to celebrate or maybe at the end of the World Series, and I don't know how security figures all that stuff out because everybody just jumps on the field. That's what God wants. He wants us all just to jump out of our seats and to be on the field playing the game, leaving nobody in the bleachers because we're engaged and we're deployed for God's purpose. And this is what Jeremiah was doing. You see, God does give us difficult assignments. But he's going to be with us, folks. He's going to give us the tools that we need. And sometimes those difficult assignments draw us closer to him, do they not? Because we're tested, we're refined, we're uncomfortable, but ultimately we see the result of that, and we're more mature, more refined as Christians, even more capable of taking on even more things. But we just need to be able to trust him. His ways are good. His ways are perfect, amen? We owe everything to God, here on earth and in heaven. So let's just encourage each other as a congregation to just lift each other up and just pray for each other and, and just know that there's a family that's here that can just say, hey, you're hurting or you're, you've got an issue with trust or this is a difficult thing you're navigating through. Let me pray for you. Let me just come alongside you. That's the beauty of a family of, of Christians together. So, where are you today? Are you like that little kid just going, I'm not going to do it. I won't, or I, I just don't. It's cramping my style, man. I, I can't watch Jeopardy at night because he wants me to be here at church and to work in the children's, or whatever it may be. Where are, where are each of us? He wants you not to ignore his prompting. And maybe there's a knock. You know, maybe it's subtle. But maybe he's pounding to say, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. And, and he will. <laughs> He'll get your attention one way or another. But we're here together. We're all wanting to be used by God. In fact, let's just close our eyes as we conclude here. And as we're thinking about Jeremiah, thinking about where he's at, just feeling inadequate. We can feel inadequate too and perhaps you're pushing back even tonight. You're just thinking, yes, I've been ignoring God's prompting. I know that he wants me to do something and I just have not uh, paid attention to that and maybe you just need to say, God, I want to really know how you want to use me. Please make that clear to me. Give me the trust I need to know that the direction is from you. Or maybe you're making excuses and you know you're making excuses and maybe you just need to say, Lord, I want to stop making excuses that keep me from doing what you want me to do. Help me just to place all those excuses at your feet and have the confidence that you're going to provide all that I need to be your ambassador. Or maybe you're saying, God, I've been faithful and I don't see any results and I feel like maybe you're not wanting to use me. Maybe I'm inadequate. Maybe this is not for me. Maybe I just need to be a spectator and step away from ministry. And if that's you, I just pray that you hang in there. Hang in there. God's going to use you. And um, Lord, as we conclude tonight, We thank you for who you are. You made it possible through your son Jesus Christ to be eternally with you in heaven and and Lord, help us understand that we are your soldiers, boots on the ground and that you've got a purpose for us, Lord. Thank you for your son Jesus Christ who made it possible in his humility to allow nails to be put in his hands and in his feet and a crown of thorns on his head to die a sinner's death On our behalf, Lord, how could we say no to a love like that? God, I pray that you would inspire us, encourage us, give us your perspective. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. May you be glorified in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said,